Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. We are finishing our series on your testimony, the story of yours that is powerful. It's unique to you and it can have such an impact. We've seen through the last eight weeks so many different aspects of your testimony, how it can influence others, how it can raise faith in other people so that God can do it again. Whatever he's done for you, he can do for them. How it can also stop the mouth of evil and iniquity and that it's a weapon against the devil. And it raises faith in ourselves. Philemon 1 verse 6 says that we acknowledge or understand every good thing that's in us when we tell others about it. So there are some powerful results from giving your testimony. We focused on the verbal giving of your testimony, but today I want to look at our actions, the way that we live, our good works, our conduct that can show people Christ. You know, my wife is not an extrovert and she said to me many times, I fear that I'm not telling people about Christ at work. And then a man at her work messaged her and messaged me and said, I've seen something different in your life. I've seen the way you act. I want to talk to you both about what you believe. So sometimes it's our actions that are our testimony. And I'm going to look at that today as we close this series on your testimony. Can I just say again, it is so important that you give your testimony. Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's part of what we are supposed to do as believers. So 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, make God the most important thing in your heart and always be ready, always be ready to give a, a defense or a response to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So it says when people ask us, we must have something to say. And that could be our testimony. It could be God's testimony, as we looked at last week about the gospel and just sharing that. But it says with meekness and fear, in other words, with humility, not with pride, not as if we're better but with honesty and humility. But then listen, it says straight after that, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And so it says that our actions must go together with our words. Let me just summarize what this says. It says, Put God first in your heart. Always be ready to give an answer if somebody asks you in the right way. But your conduct, your behavior must match what you say. Now, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I feel the responsibility of that in my heart. You know, there's a story about Alexander the Great. He was a great general, a Greek general. Uh, before Christ and he conquered huge amounts of of the world and there was a soldier whose name was Alexander who had been found to be a coward and a, and a deserter in the army he'd run away from battle and he was brought before Alexander the Great and Alexander looked at him and said did you do this thing did you run away from the battle and the and the soldier said yes I did and Alexander said to him change your name or change your conduct because our conduct is a testimony 
and we are portraying Christ to the world. That is a huge responsibility on us. Can I just say, though, that the Bible gives us, and we're going to see in the, in the verses to come, the Bible gives us this guideline that, yes, we behave well, and we behave in line with the salvation and with the God that we serve. But we also show sincerity and honesty so that when we fail, we are humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I've blown it. Because that is something that is part of the conduct that draws people to Christ. You know, I think the world is done with holier than thou Christianity, where we pretend to have it all together, where we pretend to be perfect and we think we're better than other people. We do our best. We live well and right. But when we fail, which we all will, 1 John 1 verses 8 to 10 says, we all sin. Don't say you don't have sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But also, it impresses people around us that we have the courage to say, I blew it. So I'm going to look at a few verses. The first is in Titus chapter 2, and he's talking about conduct. He's talking about older men, younger men, younger women, older women, uh, all the different parts of society and how they should live well. Um, and, and then he, he talks about employees and bond servants. Verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. So we're talking about our conduct, not necessarily giving a testimony or telling the gospel, but just living out Christianity. He says, be obedient, do well, uh, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. In other words, being a good, honest employee that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And that word adorn just jumped out at me. It's a Greek word from where we get our word cosmetics or makeup from. And it, what it's saying here, please hear me, if you're an employee or in whatever role you play in, in society and in life, you have to interact with other people and you're given tasks to do. And the way you respond to authority, to other people, workers to the job you've been given. If we do it with all good fidelity, we can adorn, we can add makeup, we can add beauty, we can accentuate the beauty because that's what makeup is. It's accentuating your good parts and hiding your bad parts. Now the gospel has no bad parts. So when we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, what we're doing is we're saying instead of me telling a person this is the doctrine of salvation. This is the doctrine of heaven. This is the doctrine of grace. Instead of saying it with words, I'm adorning it. I'm by my good works. I'm putting something on it that accentuates it. I'm, I'm drawing attention to the doctrine of Christ simply by my behavior. And so the first thing I want us to really grab a hold of is that you can preach the gospel by your behavior. You say to me, wow, I didn't realize that. When I, when I work the full hours that I'm paid to do rather than shirking off, you mean I'm preaching the gospel? Yes, you are. When I don't gossip with the rest of the employees or talk about the boss or badmouth somebody else, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel? Yes, you're adorning the doctrine. You're putting makeup. You're drawing attention to how beautiful God is and His doctrine. Wow. 
And all of us can do this. Every single one. Amazing. The second verse I want to read to you is 1 Peter 2 verse 11. It says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, or as aliens or foreigners, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So we're always going to have these fleshly lusts in our lives, even if you've been a Christian for many decades. They're warring against your soul. Abstain from them, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. In other words, when I'm out and about, I am living well. I'm living holy. I'm living pure. I'm living with integrity. I'm doing the right thing. Honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What it says is that they may still speak against you as an evildoer, even though you're doing right. He says you, you, your conduct is honorable. You're doing the right thing, but they still may make up stories and twist the truth and misconstrue what you say and what you do and, and put bad motives, pretend you have bad motives, but keep doing it because it says they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Even today, they may revile you or speak evil of you or judge you. But something is happening inside of them. And when the day of visitation comes, which is probably judgment day, when we have to be honest, they will say, yes, I saw God in that person. And you will have witness to them. Your conduct would have been a testimony to them. I was working when I was very young in, in an accounting firm and we had to work on a Sunday. We had to do overtime to get a job done. And I said, I have to go to church. And I came into the office at about midday after church and everyone had been there since 10 o'clock. And as I came in, they were mocking me. <laughs> they were pretending to sing worship songs and, and they were saying bad things about me. And they never apologized. They, they never uh, changed their tone. But two of the people in that little group died in car accidents within the next three years after that. And I've often wondered whether that simple act of me saying, you know what, I'm putting God first, I'm going to church instead of working, whether that may have had some kind of impact. And this verse says that it does. They will realize, they will observe, and they will glorify God in the day of visitation. And I pray that in those last few moments of their lives, as the car accident was happening, they called out to God because of a testimony that was an action and not a word. Let me read you another passage. Matthew 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Have you ever thought about salt? You know, we use lots of different spices in our cooking, but salt is by far the most popular one. And in Bible times, salt was more than just a taste uh, additive. It wasn't just because it tasted nice. It actually preserved things. It stopped them from rotting. And a third aspect of salt is that it creates a thirst. So there are three things there about salt. When Jesus says to you and me, you are the salt of the earth, he says, you taste nice. You taste nice. There's something nice about the way you behave and people like it. You don't backbite. You don't gossip. You don't change your mind. You don't steal. You don't lie. All these different things. It tastes nice. It stops rot. In other words, when we walk into a conversation, sometimes people stop swearing because they realize, oh, there's a Christian here. You may not have said anything, but your conduct has stopped some rot and it creates a thirst. 
Just like that man at my wife's work said, please tell me more. There is a thirst created when people see your good works. Let me read on. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What this says is that we can try to be so much like the world to try and impress them or to try and win them. We can lose our saltiness and salt is effective and tasty and powerful and preservative because it's different to the thing that it's put on. There is a difference in the salt and that makes it create a thirst, makes it tasty, makes it stop the rot. We need to be different. When everyone else is going down a route, we need to say, no, I will serve God. I will do the right thing, even if it costs us. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. You know, light can also be used as a disinfectant. Sometimes they shine bright light and it destroys bacteria. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, this is talking about the fact that your good works are obvious. There's another passage in 1 Timothy 5, which says the good works of people go before them. And even those that are not obvious will eventually come out because you can't hide good works or, or genuine character. Sometimes people revile you or say lies about you, but the truth comes out in the end, my friend. Don't worry about it. And you may not even know that the truth came out, but one day people will realize you had the right motives. You were doing the right thing. You weren't doing the things that they accused you of doing. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Your good works affect people and you may not even realize it. The light is shining and people are bathing in the light of God's goodness coming through you. And you may not even realize it. But then it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So this is saying that your good works are the light, are the testimony. What are we saying, dear friends? We are saying that God has called us to give testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes, definitely. If we're asked for a reason for why we behave, we need to have a reason, either a testimony of something God has done in our lives or the basics of the gospel. And I'll share that with you in just a, a, a short moment. But thirdly, our actions, our behavior are a testimony. We give God glory when we do the right things. Let me just read to you a description of this right living in Psalm 15. He says, who may abide in your tabernacle, Lord? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly, works righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He doesn't take up offense based on something he may have heard against somebody in whose eyes a vile person is despised. This means we don't pretend that sin is good. We say, no, that's not good. Uh, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, swears to his own hurt. If you say, I'm going to be there, even if you get a better offer, you say, no, I'm going to keep my word and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, even if it costs me. 
swears to his own hurt and does not change consistency. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. The way that we spend and use our money and get our money is part of this. He who does these things shall never be moved. That's a description of a person whose light is shining, whose testimony is showing in their good works. And I pray that we could all be like that. Can I just mention one thing here? It says, he in whose eyes a vile person is despised. You know, there are there is a place in Romans chapter 1 where it talks about the downfall of human beings, where they started knowing God, but they chose not to glorify Him, not to thank Him, not to praise Him. And their minds became darkened and they started doing evil things. And at the end, it talks about those who do such things and those who approve of those things are, are lost. They're on the wrong track. And we need to be careful that we are not holier than thou. We're not judgmental in a prideful way, but we say, that is not okay. I won't do that. You know, in Luke chapter 9 and 10, when Jesus sent out his disciples and then the 70 to go and evangelize all the cities around, he sent them out. He said, go, don't take a bag or money or anything. I will provide everything you need. When you get to a house, if they welcome you, if there's a person of peace, a receptive person, Go in, eat whatever they give you. Stay there for as long as you can. Make relationships. Eat with them. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. Pray and say the kingdom of God is near you and heal the sick and cast out demons. But then he says, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them. Sometimes us saying that is not okay. And if you reject this, I'm out of here is a testimony and one day God may use that testimony. You know, your testimony may be the only gospel that some people ever hear. There are people who will never go to church. They will never turn on a Christian TV station. They will never read a Christian book or a Bible or hear a Christian sermon or a Christian song. But you are in their life. You may be a relative, a co-worker or somebody they just come across. And you are shining a light for Christ, even if you don't say a word. Now, let me just briefly touch on this thing where he says, Always be ready to give a reason for the hope. 1 Peter 3 verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And this is very relevant to me today because I met somebody this week who needs Christ. And I was looking for an opportunity to explain to them why I think differently to them. And this reason that I'm going to give you now is what I have ready to give to them. And this is it. Jesus is who he said he was. That's the first point. And the second point is God's word is different to every other book. That's the reason for the hope that I have. So. Somebody may say to you, why do you act the way you do? Why do you make the decisions? Why do you shun these things as evil, even though everyone else does them? Why, why, why? They've asked you. He says in this verse, we've got to do it with humility, meekness and fear, and our conduct must line up. But the reason for the hope is twofold. Number one, Jesus is real. There was a real man called Jesus. He called himself the Son of God. He made himself equal to God. He called himself I am, which is the name of God in the Old Testament. And when he was worshipped, he received worship. He is who he said he was. 
He, he can't be anything else. The only other alternatives are that he was a liar, which his life just doesn't back up, or he was unhinged mentally, which his life doesn't back up. He died for his faith and he rose again and there is evidence of his resurrection. Jesus is the first reason. There is a, a historical, factual person called Jesus who cannot, I, I believe, have been a liar or a, an insane person. He was who he said he was, God in the flesh, and he died and he rose again to prove that he can overcome death. That's the first reason why I believe what I believe and why I do what I do. Second reason, he mentions scripture as being different to human opinions. He, he said there is a, a body of writings and teachings called scripture that is higher than human opinion and that is God's word and that carries weight and is true even if everybody else disagrees with it. And he honored scripture, he used scripture, he taught scripture, and then he empowered his apostles to write scripture in the New Testament. And because of God's word, I believe what I believe. Society may say certain things are not wrong, but if God's word says they're wrong, I trust God's word because Jesus is God and scripture is higher than human opinion. And when you get that mindset, it is a reason. Now, the person you're telling that to may not agree. They may say, well, I don't think Jesus was God or I don't think the Bible is special. But at least there is a clear reason for why you believe and why you act the way you do. So I want to conclude our series on giving your testimony. I just want to encourage you and tell you that your testimony is a beautiful thing. It's a unique and special thing. Nobody has the background that you have. Nobody has the story that you have. Nobody has the personality that you have. And when you tell your testimony, it is something that can never be told by anybody else in the way that you can tell it. Tell it humbly. Tell it honestly. Tell it with enthusiasm and passion. Have a short version and a medium version and a long version. Tell them the before I knew Christ, what Christ did for me and how I met him, and since I've met Christ. Tell them the story of what God has done in your life. When you do that, giving glory to God or thanking Him for what He's done, His presence invades that space and that time. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people and that when we thank Him, we are entering His gates and His courts, His presence. So when you thank God in a testimony, His power floods in. It opens people's eyes and their minds. They can see what God could do, what God wants to do, because what he's done for one person, he wants to do for others. And faith rises up. His presence, his spirit comes in. And these verses show that they may not acknowledge it or admit it at the time, but it is having an impact. Something is registering in their heart of God, his power, his life. Uh, uh, a point of contact with the, with the divine is happening when you tell your testimony. It may be just a, a short comment. God was so good to me last week. Or it may be a long story. Or it may be an explanation of the reason for your hope. But I want to tell you, your testimony is powerful. And if it is backed up with actions, with good conduct, with living a clean life, and being honest enough to say, I'm sorry when I've blown it and being honest about your failures, it will have an impact. 
God's word will never return void. The testimony of God is powerful. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend. I pray for myself. I pray for all of us that you would give us the courage, the bravery to speak out for you, not to be ashamed of you, to say so, to speak your testimony, even without words, even in our conduct. And I thank you, God, that it is having an impact in the world around me. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Coming up now, this is Kenny's story. Hi everyone, I'd like to talk about how God works in us beyond our ability. Um, the Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, far above all that we can think or imagine according to the power that works in us. Um, I remember my life before I gave my life to Christ. I used to struggle a lot academically. Um, it didn't seem like I was going to be one of those that would be singled out to um, be the best or that people would say amongst our com contemporaries, amongst our colleagues, she stood out. Um, I was just average. But God works and he worked in me. I remember several points in time during my studies, during my career, during my work with God, I would hear the Spirit of God telling me what to do, how to tackle situations, how to handle challenging times, how to solve problems academically. Then it became that, oh, she's the strategic person. Oh, she's a smart person. But it was never that way. Before I gave my life to Christ, it was, oh, she doesn't know so much. I was looked down upon. My words were not held strongly. It was as if I didn't know what I was doing. I got promoted to the position of a manager in my office. And that's after spending roughly eight months with the firm. I had a lot of people that were more experienced or that are more experienced than I am. They've spent probably five to eight years in the audit industry and I've done Barely done for, yes, but I am where I am today because God has walked in me. And I believe strongly that if he walked in me, he's able to walk in anybody. God is able to walk in us to do amazing things. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do through me. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.